Welcome to Hexacast. My name is Charlotte, and I will be your host to guide you through a land of folklore, magic, mystery, and pagan beliefs. In this episode of Hexacast, we're going to be exploring some of the autumn traditions in Britain. The traditions that I have chosen to speak about in this episode are still ongoing in the modern day. Many of the traditions throughout the British Isles seem to have come from nowhere. They don't seem to have a concrete origin story. However, some do. It could be through a king or queen's charter for the land it encompasses. Or it could simply be related to a local harvest tradition. The beautiful thing about these traditions carrying on is it's almost as though you're taking a part of history and carrying it forwards into the new era. There are many, many celebrations that happen on a monthly, weekly, annual occurrence throughout Britain and also throughout much of the world. Many of these things we don't really think about until we're asked, so what does your country do? My inspiration for this episode actually comes from, would you believe, some of the groups that I'm a member of online. I've recently found so very many people throughout the entire world who want to talk about what their country is proud of, but not in a way that makes them better. Not in a way that makes them feel as though they stand above other people, because that's not what these traditions are about. In fact, many of the traditions that we have in Britain are related to rites of fertility. So that could be fertility of the land, could be fertility of the people, of the animals. These are ancient traditions. Many of them were adopted and carried on in some form or another by Christianity when it came to Britain. Many of them were perhaps carried on for a little while, but then they were stamped out in favour of more Christian or godly practices. The folklore that we see carried out in Britain and the rest of the world that dates back before Christianity is precious. It's here we have our roots. It's here we have our landscapes, we have our people. It's where we're from. These celebrations should never be forgotten. They should never just be discarded because the local council doesn't want it to continue. It's us. It's our blood, it's our bone, 
It's the people who make the places. The first tradition I wish to cover in this episode is the Abbots Bromley Horn Dance. Now, Abbots Bromley is a small place in Staffordshire, which is in the heart of England. And the horn dance is a custom that goes back many, many years. In fact, they don't know the origin of this custom. There are some theories that the the horns themselves, as they are reindeer horns, were perhaps even brought over by the Vikings back when they were on British soil. Now, this is annually performed, and nowadays it's performed on the Monday of the local Wakes Week. Now, this is a week that happens in the local area, and it's the Monday after the first Sunday after September the 4th. It's a very typical folklore thing to have all of these specific dates and days to happen before these events occur. I mean, if we are looking at Christianity, for example, Easter, the reason it changes every year is because it depends on the moon cycle. Yes, really, that's why it changes. So this is very similar to that in that it has to happen on a certain day of a certain month. It's, it's wonderful. This event is still active in modern times, which is amazing because, as we say, the origin of this is just so unknown, but it is still happening. Young people are still involved with this. The The very youngest will, for example, play the triangle or just follow along with the procession, but they're still involved. It's not just older people in a community who are just carrying it on for the sake of it. It is being carried on down in family lines. This seems to be a very important part of folklore in Britain, is that these things are carried on down in the family name. Of course, outsiders, as we say, perhaps, or people who aren't specifically from that community will get involved. But the majority of the time, you will find that the the main proponents of these folklore traditions will be from the, shall we say in brackets, traditional, the original families of the area which is incredible. Originally, the the dance was said to be performed at Christmas, New Year, and on the 12th day. Now, this is from a an account from 1686. This suggests it was perhaps originally a winter solstice custom. Now, this also ties in with the idea that it's very much pre-Christian. Of course, nowadays, the horns themselves are stored in the church for safekeeping kind of makes sense it's a locked building very secure on the day of the dance they will go to the church in the morning the people who are going to be carrying them and they will take them one by one in a kind of ceremony they collect them at eight in the morning and the horn dancers comprise of six deer men now they are the ones that carry the the reindeer horns there's also a fool which goes along with them a hobby horse and a bowman. Now, the bowman will actually fire at the hobby horse, trying to kill him. All very jolly. And there is also a maid Marion. They will perform their dance to music, which will be provided by a melodeon player or 
Nowadays, from what I've seen on, on videos, there's actually quite a few people that go along with them playing drums and different kinds of music. And they will go throughout the whole village and the surrounding farms and also pubs, of course. You've got to have your pubs key part of British folklore. The entire route itself is about 10 miles long or 16 kilometers. Now that is a long way to walk in one day. I was watching a video from the horn dance, I believe it was from 2012, and there is part of it now where they go out to these farms in the middle of nowhere. Nowadays, they actually all jump into a van and get driven out. I mean, that's the thing, with folklore, to keep it alive, you have to modify it. If you keep it exactly as it was to begin with, great. But modern times are a changing, as they say. And you have to make these allowances to enable it to carry on into the modern day. Otherwise, like so many things, it just dies. But they go along, they dance, they sing. It is amazing. These dances are amazing and they have so much stamina. They're constantly on the move. Anyway, at the end of the day, the horns, again, with the people, they go back to the church, they put them back up onto the wall where they're mounted, and then I imagine they will go and have a celebration at the pub. Again, British folklore traditions. I haven't personally seen this myself. I was actually living in Staffordshire for quite a few years. Unfortunately, I never got the chance to go and see them. I didn't have a car. Abbots Bromley, I'm not really sure where that is in regards to where I was living, but if I do ever get the chance, I would want to go and see them, definitely. Unfortunately, however, this year, as it is with many, many other festivals, celebrations and traditions, it has been cancelled. It was due to happen on, I believe, the 7th of September 2020, but due to current situations with good old virus that I shall not name, so many things have been cancelled. But next year, they are set to go and carry on again. So I'm really, really hoping that it doesn't stop any of these traditions from happening because sometimes you find a break in a year can really make a difference. So that was the Abbots Bromley Horn Dance. Now we're staying in Staffordshire with the next one and this one is going over to Litchfield and this is the Sheriff's Ride. Again, I lived in Staffordshire, I didn't even know this was a thing until today. So on September the 8th, again a similar time to Abbott's Bromley Horn Dance. The Sheriff of Litchfield is accompanied by around 40 or 50 horsemen and they ride around the entire boundary of the city. Before I looked this up, I was amazed because I didn't even realise that Britain had sheriffs. It, it just seems such a very strange word because obviously in the USA they have sheriffs, sheriff department. It's very, very common. But in the UK, it's now just the police. Well, this actually dates back to Queen Mary's Charter of 1553, in which Litchfield was made completely separate to Staffordshire. It was basically given its own ownership. It was a city and a county in one, which is just incredible. It then had the right to appoint its own sheriff, where, of course, this ride comes from. Now, the ride itself begins from the centre of Litchfield, where the sheriff, along with civic 
dignitaries will begin the procession of horses out of the city. This 22-mile ride begins in the morning and follows a marked route with morning, lunchtime and an afternoon break. They then return to the city via the Cathedral Close. I believe along the route itself, there will be a lot of things happening. There will be stalls selling food, drink, all sorts of memorabilia. And of course, I'm sure there are quite a few pubs along the way. As I say, it is very much a British tradition to have a good old pub on the way. I, I didn't even know that it had this individualness in the 1500s. Of course, nowadays, Lichfield is once again part of Staffordshire, but this tradition still carries on as a yearly event. So it is it is wonderful to see these things carry on. And especially when we know the origin, because I mean, the, the 1500s, it sounds like a very, very long time ago, but when you compare it to something like the, the horn dance, we don't know when that began. So that could have been 900s, perhaps even longer. As with many other things in terms of folk traditions from Britain, everything has its own song, its own theme. That there was the actual theme from The Sheriff's Ride. Moving around in the country now, we're going to Colchester for the annual Oyster Feast. Now, this event occurs on the last Friday in October, the feast itself, that is. The oyster fishery in Colchester dates back to 1186, when King Richard I gave the fisheries to the town. 
On the first day of the dredging season, which is the beginning of September, the mayor of Colchester, in his robes of office, along with members of the town council and of the fishery board, go into a fishing boat in the local area. They go from Brightling Sea into Pyfleet Creek. Now, the town clerk reads aloud an ancient proclamation which is dated from 1256. This asserts that the fishery rights have belonged to Colchester from the time beyond which memory runneth not to the contrary. Those who are involved in this proclamation reading then toast to the Queen, or of course the King, if we do have a King eventually, in gin, and they also eat small pieces of gingerbread. Now, I couldn't find the actual history behind this toast and eating, but it seems to be a thing that's happened from the beginning, in that you would use gin to toast, and then you would eat gingerbread. After the toast and the eating and the proclamation, the mayor will then ceremonially open the season by lowering the trawl and bringing up the first oysters. Now, this happens on, as I say, the beginning of September, usually September the 1st, and the feast is then held in late October. It had been cancelled after 400 years of constant celebration. However, in the more recent times, in the 1800s, it has actually been revived, which is wonderful. In terms of the feast, it's, it's invite only. So only those who have been invited can attend the feast. It's usually the civic dignitaries from all across the United Kingdom, along with worthy celebrities who are involved in arts and music. I've also heard that anybody who is doing something wonderful for the community, some kind of community outreach program, they may get an invitation, but don't turn up expecting to go to the feast if you're not invited. The next two folklore traditions are very much tied together and these are very attached to October and November. So the first of these is known as Punky Night. Now this is celebrated in Somerset in Hinton St George. A punky is a hollowed out mangold or mangelwurzel with a lit candle inside much like the turnip lanterns from the northeast. It would usually be some form of turnip or root vegetable that would be used as a lantern before the pumpkin became more of a universal thing for this time of year. In terms of punky night, though, the children would carry their lanterns in a procession around the village on the last Thursday of October. The lanterns are not decorated as a face, like the, the more modern pumpkins are, but these would be far more elaborate, decorated with intricate flower, ship or animal patterns. Truly, truly works of art. The candles are then placed inside once the inner pith has been thinned, thinned enough to keep the shape of the lantern, but enough room to keep a candle burning. The lanterns would then be carried using strings, which are threaded through two holes at the top. The origins of the custom are unsure, but some stories say that the lanterns were carved by the village wives way back when, who would go out searching for their drunk husbands lost on the way home from Chiselborough Fair. 
nowadays in our modern times, even the the most rural areas will tend to have one or two or a few street lamps here and there to help guide your way in the dark. Now, if you think back to even the 1800s, I'm sure, and early 1900s in many places, for example, the village I grew up in didn't even have electricity until the 1950s. But these places would have been so very dark. We wouldn't have the same light pollution from the nearby towns and cities as we do now. It would be a very different world. So these lanterns would have saved lives, literally. But that is one of the origins. There is actually a song that goes along with this. Now, I don't know how the tune goes because I found this from a book, but it goes a little bit like this. It's punky night tonight. Give us a candle, give us a light. If you don't, you'll get a fright. It's punky night tonight. Adam and Eve, they'd never believe it's punky night tonight. So that is just one of the, the song examples. I'm sure there are quite a few more and also variations upon what's in the verses. But it's, it's actually very interesting when you look at the part about giving them a light, but if you don't, you get a fright. It's very, very similar to the modern trick or treat. So if you don't get a treat of some sort, that could be candy, fruit, even money in some cases. If you don't do that, you'll get a trick. Whereas with this one, if you don't give them a light, a candle, you'll get a fright. Same kind of idea. It's, it's interesting how these carry on. That also leads me into the final bit of folklore info for this episode. This one talks about souling or soul caking. This is handling specifically around Northwest England, where they have traditional mumming plays. These plays are usually performed with sword fight happening and then a revival of a fallen combatant. And with the ones around this time of year, you will also have a wild hobby horse. Again, that's seen in so many different traditions around Britain. In times gone past, it would also feature children that would travel from house to house, singing traditional songs for the time of year in exchange for gifts of money, sweets, fruit or cake. Now that is what's known as souling. That's kind of the original roots of trick-or-treating, as we say now. The children would be disguised because it was thought that this time of year, the spirits and ghosts of times gone past would travel from place to place. It was very important that people who had also souling would cover their identity. Now, what they would usually do is the children would have their faces blackened with soot or some other kind of disguise so you couldn't quite make out who it was. And then they would travel with lanterns, presumably of turnips. And of course, in Colchester, they would have their punkies and they would do these exchanges of songs for a treat. This has likely been, of course, replaced by the American custom of trick-or-treating. So it's had a bit of an overhaul. Instead of going out disguised, now people dress up as, I don't know, Batman, that kind of thing. But it has still got its roots in old folk traditions. Another part of Halloween or Souls or All Souls Night is the Halloween fire. Now, it's another tradition that has all but died out. I know in the late 
1900s, so we're talking 1970s, 80s, basically the end of the last century, there were still a few areas in rural Britain that would still do this. But the only large celebration that I'm aware of is the Samhain Fire Festival in Edinburgh, that's up in Scotland. The fires were widely celebrated until the end of the 19th century, so everywhere would have had these fires up until then. But the fires at this time of year, they would be lit at dusk for luck, for the saning of the fields, for protection against the fairies and witches, who had, of course, taken the place of long forgotten pagan spirits. And most of all, it was done for fun and merriment. These fires were lit with ceremony, sometimes with the blowing of horns, circuited by dancers and making the occasion festive. As I mentioned earlier with the, the Samhain Fire Festival in Edinburgh, they will light fires and they will walk a procession all together in outfits and costume. It's just, it looks incredible. It's a very, very pagan tradition, a very pagan belief system happening there. But again, the main reason behind it all with the crowds was for fun and merriment. Something that you don't tend to see, I don't believe, in the Edinburgh ones, but you still may see in some parts of rural Britain, is that young lads from other districts, other towns, other areas, they would come along and they would try and scatter someone else's fire. This was expected, it was, it's part of the celebrations and trickery, and they actually had guardians of the fire to prevent this from happening. But it was such an ingrained part of the community that these events would happen throughout the year. It's a shame that a lot of these have died out, but it's also wonderful to hear of ones who still carry on. So that was a look at just a few of the still ongoing folk traditions happening in Britain. It's always very exciting to find things that are still happening, but it's also just as interesting to read into the old traditions that have long gone. Who knows? Some of these have been paused for 400, 500, even more years, so they could have a comeback in times to come. We don't know what's coming from the future, but we can always learn a lot from our past. My name is Charlotte. I have been your host for this episode of Hexacast. I hope you enjoyed it please remember to head over to Instagram or Facebook where you can find out more about Hexacast and also our website, which is hexacast.com. Until next time, stay strange, but don't be a stranger. <laughs>